This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. The Holy Spirit continues to set hearts on fire with the love of Christ and inspire people to bring the good news to a world that is aching to hear it. Welcome to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. Now, here's your guide on this grand adventure, Catholic singer, songwriter, author, and speaker, Miriam Marston. Welcome back to Blazing the Trail, heard here on Mater Dei Radio. I'm your host, Miriam Marston, and I'm just going to go ahead and open with an Alleluia, He is Risen. My friends, happy Easter. We have been building up to that Alleluia for so many weeks, and it's just amazing to finally say it. Um, So I promised last week that we'd spend this episode uh, contemplating the mystery of the resurrection through the eyes of one of the very first disciples who evangelized, that is Mary Magdalene. So let's begin with the scripture passage that we'll be focusing on this week, and this is from the Gospel of John. But Mary stayed outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she bent over into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken my Lord, and I don't know where they laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus there, but did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? She thought it was the gardener and said to him, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you laid him and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop holding on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them, I am going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary of Magdala went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and what he told her. Again, that's from the Gospel of John, and there's so much in that text that I want to get to. But before that, I want to reflect on some words from Pope Francis, and then I'll share a song called The Gardener, which is based on the scripture passage I just read. So let's listen to a few words from Pope Francis on the wonder of Easter. This, therefore, is the proclamation that the church repeats from the first day. Christ is risen, and in him, through baptism, we too are risen. We have passed from death to life, from the slavery of sin to the freedom of love. Behold the good news that we are called to take to others and to every place inspired by the Holy Spirit. Faith in the resurrection of Jesus and the hope that he brought us is the most beautiful gift that the Christian can and must give to his brothers. To all and to each, therefore, let us not tire of saying, Christ is risen. Let us repeat it all together, Christ is risen. Let us repeat it with words, but above all, with the witness of our lives. The happy news of the resurrection should shine on our faces, in our feelings and attitudes, in the way we treat others. We proclaim the resurrection of Christ when His light illuminates the dark moments of our life. And we can share that with others when we know how to smile with those who smile and weep with those who weep. 
when we walk beside those who are sad and in danger of losing hope, when we recount our experience of faith with those who are searching for meaning and for happiness, with our attitude, with our witness, with our life, we say, Jesus is risen. Let us say it with all our soul. Again, that was Pope Francis, and the reason I wanted to share this particular text of his is that he explores, as he so often does, the missionary dimension of this beautiful moment in the life of the church. It's not enough just to receive this astonishing news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We must share it with others. He challenges us. Let us say it with all our soul. And right now, I'm going to say it with some music. So please enjoy this song called The Gardener, which is based on the encounter between Jesus and Mary Magdalene, and it takes place after our Lord has has just risen from the dead. And on the other side of the song, we will continue with our resurrection reflections. Her pausing all her sadness Fair and so faithful She throws aside careful Hardly knowing what to expect She makes a way over Maybe it's safe now It's been a few days now And she started weeping As though she never cried before Thought she lost the only one she loved And three of the longest days of her life Had come to this Waiting by a stone And then she saw the gardener He asked her how she'd been I'm sad and I'm scared but why do you care you're just the gardener's son do you recognize me And then she saw the 
So scripture tells us that Mary Magdalene came to the empty tomb while it was still dark. You can almost feel the chill draped like a mantle around her shoulders, that familiar sensation in those moments before the dawn. An added chill might have set in as she made her way across that garden of graves. She'd seen death before, but it had never affected her like this. How did I get here? Where do I go from here? In the quiet company of her grief and questions, she arrives at her destination, and her pace slows down while her heart speeds up. Can you look through her eyes for an instant? Can you see the stone rolled away from the entrance of the tomb? Imagine her distress then when she realizes that the body of the man that she loved is gone. She races back to the disciples to let them know and then rushes back to the tomb. She's out of breath from all the running. And the emotion of the morning finally overtakes her and she sits down weeping. But even as she weeps, she still feels compelled to look inside the tomb again. Maybe, maybe she missed a clue before, some hint as to where Jesus' body might be. She doesn't find a clue, but she does find two angels sitting there. They offer no salutation or or customary greeting. Rather, they want to know why she is crying. She says, they have taken my Lord. And at this point, she turns around and she sees Jesus there, but mistakes him for the gardener. And the first words from Jesus reiterate the angel's question. Woman, why are you weeping? You know, it's a curious and rather telling thing that there is such concern about the tears of Mary Magdalene. I wouldn't be surprised if Mary had been a little bewildered or even irritated by their incomprehension of her tearful state. I mean, don't they understand what is going on here? But Mary remains polite and she addresses the gardener as sir and asking again, you know, where, where she can find the body of Jesus. And our Lord does not, as one might expect, introduce himself or correct Mary's mistake. He simply replies, Mary. And it's always significant when our Lord addresses someone by name. You know, take, take for example, that pivotal moment when Christ gives Simon a new name. He says, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus declares to his friend, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. He uses her name twice, so it's clear he wants her to listen to him closely and to heed his word. The use of names throughout scripture, it's one more way that God demonstrates how he works in specific lives in concrete ways and not just in some abstract, imprecise mode. You know, the genealogy at the start of the Gospel of Matthew, it might be a challenge for the lector to read at Mass, but it is a testament to the long history of God's divine work in and through His people. So when Jesus Christ calls out Mary, it's a clear cue to us to lean in a little closer and to pay attention. And what's more, the translation gives us an exclamation point. I mean, do you remember the last time someone called out your name using an exclamatory tone? I mean, it might have been as recently as five minutes ago when a family member was clamoring for your attention, in which case it's probably best to turn the radio off and revisit this podcast later. The point is we hear the urgency in Christ's voice, but there's a tenderness there as well. It's as though he is saying, fear not, I know you. I have known you since before you were born and you know me even if you did not recognize me. And what's Mary's response? She turns again. 
And this detail is noteworthy because we're told she had already turned to face the man she thought was the gardener. So why the extra turning around? Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger gives us a possible answer in his book, Credo for Today. He writes that, Metanoia is not just some sort of Christian attitude, but rather is actually the fundamental Christian act, understood, of course, in terms of one very definite aspect, the aspect of change, the act of turning, of becoming new and different. In order to become a Christian, a human being must change, not merely in one place or another, but unconditionally down to the very bottom of his being. In other words, this added turn could be representative of an interior movement in the heart of Mary Magdalene. True, she had already experienced moments of conversion in her life of discipleship so far, but this was her first encounter with the risen Lord. She had witnessed a number of extraordinary events up to this point, but this encounter would surpass all of those prior experiences. This meeting in the garden had the power to reshape even the most basic of Mary's perceptions and her very understanding of the destiny of the human person. But it's not always easy to turn, is it? Especially when our feet have been so firmly planted and facing one direction for a very long time. We get accustomed to the scenery. We'd rather not change it. We become strangely attached even to the chaos in our lives. You know, as I was preparing for this reflection, I thought of that character in Tolkien's uh, The Lord of the Rings, Gollum. Now, Gollum is a sad creature, and his existence, you know, became increasingly revolving around the possession of a certain ring. But that ring was evil, and it was destroying him slowly, making him less and less himself. But he still, even after all that, called the ring his precious. Like, precious? We wonder how such a wretched thing could be so precious. It seems clear to us that the whole time he thought he was in possession of the ring, it was really the ring that was in possession of him. But is that such a remote possibility? Are we, are we so removed from Gollum's drama? How often have we become ensnared in vice and bad habits, unable to recognize the traps we've set for ourselves, and when we actually mistake the corrupt for the good? I would guess that we all have a few rings of power in our lives, and they're not so easy to throw away. So yes, walking away from a former way of life, there's a reason for the image of the refiner's fire. True conversion burns away anything in us that is not ordered to right relationship with God. Have you ever gotten too close to a flame? It hurts. And the burning up of sin and bad habits can sting and be uncomfortable. But let's get back to Mary's turning. So after this second turning around, Mary does not hesitate. She replies with a name too, Rabuni. She calls out to him simply as teacher. And this teacher's latest lesson is the greatest one of all. He has taught her that the power of sin and death has been shattered from the inside out. He stands before her as the God who died and rose, burying evil in its deep grave. Mary gazes upon the king who has overturned the curse and reawakened the people. There's an echo of the prophet's words that pierces through the silence of that new day as Mary looks upon the one she has loved most dearly. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Upon those who lived in a land of gloom, a light has shone. That's from Isaiah chapter 9. 
And you know, this could explain the apparent incomprehension of Mary's earlier distress and sadness. The angels know that a new reality has set in. There is no longer a world without the resurrection of Christ. The age of the old covenant has passed. This is the age of the new covenant, the age of fulfillment. You and I and Mary Magdalene belong to this era. No wonder the angels were a bit puzzled. How could any of us weep when we know the Lord has risen and conquered death? In Psalm 30, we hear, You changed my mourning into dancing. You took off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, so that my glory may praise you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, forever will I give you thanks. When I consider how her heart must have been bursting with the tremendous joy of this encounter, I can't help but wonder what Mary experienced as she walked back home later that day. She comes to the home she'd left anxious and alone, but it feels more like a mansion now. Does not all of creation somehow grow and stretch when we ponder how God has walked among the trees? Nature would need to make room for such a cosmic presence after all. Are not the colors sharper and more brilliant where the Lord has knelt and prayed? Isn't our drink a little more refreshing when we contemplate His divine lips touching the rim of a cup? In her haste to leave the garden, Mary would have scarcely realized that when she brushed against the morning dewdrops, her fingers were dipping into holy water. The tiny petals served as a baptismal font catching the first drops of living water. They washed away the dirt of sin which belonged to an older garden. In that ancient garden, evil had crept in, slithering and venomous. But in this garden, life gushed forth and rolled back the heavy stone of death. This life is still so new and so overwhelming that Mary cannot even hold on to it. Instead, our Lord sends her forth with the most important message that has ever been entrusted to a human soul. I have seen the Lord. You know, in the end, the maiden from Magdala was not too far off in her statements. In a way, she did come face to face with the gardener's son. On that cool and quiet morning, Mary turned her tear-streaked face upwards and looked into the eyes of the Son of God. A glance and a word from him sufficed. The little garden of Mary's heart blossomed into vast acres of beauty. And as she walked, it was though the freshness of spring followed her every step, giving glory to the Father. I'm reminded here of a passage from G.K. Chesterton as he writes, On the third day, the friends of Christ coming at daybreak to the place found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder, but even they hardly realized that the world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation, with a new heaven and a new earth. And in a semblance of the gardener, God walked again in the garden, in the cool not of the evening, but of the dawn. I referenced Pope Francis earlier, and as we come to the close of this episode, I want to return to his Easter reflections as he writes, Easter, brothers and sisters, is the feast of tombstones taken away, rocks rolled aside. God takes away even the hardest stones against which our hopes and expectations crash. Death, sin, fear, worldliness. 
Human history does not end before a tombstone because today it encounters the living stone, the risen Jesus. We as church are built on him, and even when we grow disheartened and tempted to judge everything in the light of our failures, he comes to make all things new, to overturn our every disappointment. Each of us is called to rediscover in the risen Christ the one who rolls back from our heart the heaviest of stones. So let us first ask, what is the stone that I need to remove? What is the name of this stone? Often what blocks hope is the stone of discouragement. Once we start thinking that everything is going badly and that things can't get worse, we lose heart and come to believe that death is stronger than life. We become cynical, negative, and despondent. Stone upon stone, we build within ourselves a monument to our own dissatisfaction. Life becomes a succession of complaints and we grow sick in spirit. A kind of tomb psychology takes over. Everything ends there with no hope of emerging alive. But at that moment, we hear once more the insistent question of Easter. Why do you seek the living among the dead? The Lord is not to be found in resignation. He is risen. He is not there. Do not bury hope. Pope Francis continues as he reflects on the women who visited the tomb on Easter morning. And at one point, the gospel tells us they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. They did not have the courage to look up. And how often do we do the same thing? We prefer to remain huddled within our shortcomings, cowering in our fears. It is odd, but why do we do this? We feel in control, for it is easier to remain alone in the darkness of our heart than to open ourselves to the Lord. Yet only He can raise us up. The Lord calls us to get up, to rise at His word, to look up and to realize that we were made for heaven, not for earth, for the heights of life, and not for the depths of death. Do not fear then, the Lord loves your life, even when you are afraid to look at it and to take it in hand. In Easter, he shows you how much he loves that life, even to the point of living it completely, experiencing anguish, abandonment, death, and hell, in order to emerge triumphant to tell you, you are not alone. Put your trust in me. Jesus is a specialist at turning our deaths into life, our mourning into dancing. With him, we too can experience a Passover from self-centeredness to communion, from desolation to consolation, from fear to confidence. Let us not keep our faces bowed to the ground in fear, but raise our eyes to the risen Jesus. His gaze fills us with hope, for it tells us that we are loved unfailingly, and that however much we make a mess of things, his love remains unchanged. This is the one non-negotiable certitude we have in life. His love does not change. Let us ask ourselves, in my life, where am I looking? Am I gazing at graveyards or looking for the living one? Pope Francis continues as he writes, Having lost the living memory of Jesus, they kept looking at the tomb. But faith always needs to go back to Galilee to reawaken its first love for Jesus and his call, to remember him, to turn back to him with all our mind and all our heart. To return to a lively love of the Lord is essential. Otherwise, ours is a museum faith, not an Easter faith. Jesus is not a person from the past. He is a person living today. We do not know him from history books. We encounter him in life. 
Today, let us remember how Jesus first called us, how he overcame our darkness, our resistance, our sins, and how he touched our hearts with his word. Again, I've been quoting a bit from Pope Francis, and now, my friends, here is my prayer as we wrap up today. Lord, we might have found ourselves standing next to an empty tomb, wondering where you have gone. We wonder why we've been left behind with only our tears as company. In those moments, grant us the faith of Mary Magdalene, who kept her eyes and ears open, and who heard her name pronounced eagerly and tenderly by you, the one she loved above all. So help us listen more attentively as you call out each of our names. And let it be an invitation to turn, as Mary did, and recognize you, Lord, where we did not see you before. And then, may we have the courage and the confidence to go tell others this astounding news. We have seen the Lord. My friends, once again, happy Easter, and I hope you can join me next week as we continue to blaze a trail together here in Western Oregon. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.